Welcome to a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where I give you the simple truth in a world that doesn't care about the facts. This is Luke Taylor. I hope you're staying warm out there and let's just get right into it. This week, the Iowa caucus begins and I've really been kind of ex- excited because I'm I've, <laughs> we're finally getting into the actual election. Everything up until now has just been build up, of course, but it's finally time to see can Ron DeSantis pull it out in Iowa. He's kind of put everything on Iowa. I mean, this is um, if he can win the state, he will show himself to be a formidable opponent to Donald Trump, and that's going to give him some momentum going forward in this primary. The battle's not going to be over on Monday if he if he wins that state. Now, if he loses it, it might be over for him. I mean, this that might be the end of his campaign. I, he might linger on for a few more primaries here, but um, if he can't, he's visited all 99 counties in Iowa. He's made a huge effort to turn out a win in that state. Uh, I don't think it's impossible. The polls are saying it's impossible. I say the polls are not very reliable. And I say he, you know, I think he still has a, a pretty good shot. Um, we're going to we're going to know after Monday. And maybe I'm just optimistic for him. But uh, I, I don't think people should listen to the polls. The only poll that matters is the one that's going to take place when people go down to their caucus voting center and they stand wherever they're supposed to stand and cast their vote for who they're supposed to cast it for. And you know, I don't know all the terminology with caucusing. I haven't been part of a caucus before, but that's how Iowa does things. They're a little bit unique. And uh, I actually, side story here, I was traveling through the Midwest a couple years ago, and um, I, I, was, I flew on a plane for, to Minnesota, and I was driving south down to Missouri, so I drove straight through Iowa, and I only stopped one time. It's a very small state. Um, you know, I just flew through it. And, um, well, not literally. First, I flew over it, but then I was driving through it, and uh, yeah, I stopped for lunch down there. That was my only time I had feet on the ground in Iowa. I sat at a, it was like a little town called Springville or Springtown or something like that in Iowa. Stopped at a subway. There was a couple in there, and I got to talking to them, and they were asking where I was from and all that. And uh, so I, I said to them, you know, do, do you ever feel um, kind of taken advantage of by these politicians it, whenever it comes around to a primary? You know, because they are they they spend a whole bunch of time in Iowa talking about Iowa issues, reaching out to Iowa voters. And then because Iowa is always the first state, you know, in the primaries, every presidential election. And then as soon as the primary is over, you know, then they're off to other states and you never hear that. Even if they get elected president, you never hear him talk about Iowa ever again. And so I said, you know, do you ever feel kind of st- taken advantage of or used? It? Anyway, she she kind of pauses and the lady in the the couple I was talking to she pauses. She's like, well, no, but. I never thought about it that way before. And then I could tell she kind of got mad. So I was like, whoops. I kinda... <laughs> so I ruined Iowa for Iowa for somebody in Iowa. But um, yeah, that, for some, for whatever reason, it was determined long ago before I was born, I guess. Iowa is the state that kicks it all off. And so here we are coming up upon Iowa and Ron DeSantis has put it all there to see if he is going to have a future in this political campaign for 2024. Nikki Haley has kind of put everything on New Hampshire. She's not expecting to win Iowa. She would she would like to win New Hampshire. And if she can pull that win out, then that's supposed to be her momentum going into this um, uh, Republican primary season. And so, you know, we're going to know in the next couple of weeks if if either one of them still look like look like they have a chance. Um, if, if either of them lose. I would say that's probably the end of their campaign realistically for this year. So um, but then here's the other interesting thing is we're all just got hit with this Arctic blast. OK. And so everything is super cold, and by which I mean um, where I live, which is here in Missouri, where I live, it's like 20 degrees outside today, and it is blowing wind gusts like I've never seen on a cold day. So the wind chills probably got it below zero, far below zero, I'd say. Like, you cannot stand it being outside right now. And I always got it even worse on the day of the, the caucuses on Monday. There's, they're reporting there's going to be wind chills of like minus 20, minus 30 degrees over there in Iowa. So that is not going to be a fun day to be out. And what that tells me, only the most enthusiastic people are going to show up to vote that day. And uh, in my opinion, I think that helps DeSantis. I just feel like there's a lot more enthusiasm for him than there are for Trump supporters that what they have for Trump. I base that on, if you look at Trump's rallies, he's made a few appearances in Iowa lately. And, um, He's uh he's been I, th- I think he's just kind of been his normal self at, at these rallies. 
but the crowd has not been as loud as they used to be. They've been smaller than they used to be. Uh, he, he used to, you know, fill up stadiums or, or whatever, and now he's he can't even fill up a high school gym. So I'm just kind of going on, you know, I don't know numbers. I don't know how many people attend a Trump rally versus a DeSantis rally. I don't know. But I just feel like I see a lot more energy in the room from the DeSantis supporters. And so I think if it's an icy cold day that day, only the most enthusiastic are going to show up to participate. And I feel like that benefits DeSantis. Hey, we're going to see. We're going to see. I just don't see the enthusiasm there for Trump that there was eight years ago. But um, the, another thing I'm seeing a lot of is, is even some of the expert pollsters are saying Trump's already got this thing locked up. So they probably know more than me. Uh, Trump, of course, he's, you know, he's always going to have his base, whether that's 25, 30, 35, 40 percent of the Republican Party. You know, he's got that base. He's got to get 50 percent of the people in that precinct to vote for him, for him to win it at these caucuses. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll see if he can do that or if the if the non-Trump vote consolidates around somebody else. And then looking ahead to the general election, if you want to win a general election, you've got to win independence. You know, the Republicans are going to vote Republican. Democrats will vote Democrat. But you got to get the independence if you want a chance to win the general election when it comes to the presidency. Uh, there's a lot of polls right now that are saying Trump would beat Biden, that he's got the independence. That's that's what the polls are saying. I'm a little skeptical because I think, what about 10 or 11 months from now and we get to election day and you've had an entire year of Trump being on trial, Trump getting found guilty. You know, I just don't know if he's going to still have the independent support like they're saying that he has right now. And so that's, that's where I see that I, th- I think it would be a bad idea for people to vote for Trump. I know he did a lot of good things before. I've praised him for the good things he's done. I've been a little hard on him for the things I, that I thought were disastrous decisions. <laughs> I think he's, if you listen to my podcast episodes last year, I went through the indictments. I, based on, he hasn't been convicted yet, but based on the information I've looked at, he is literally a criminal. Um, he literally has committed crimes and had tried and admitted it on tape and tried to cover it up when he got caught. So all that stuff is very bad for him. And so I think it would be a very, very bad idea to to put Trump back into the to make him the Republicans guy for the general election. You know, I just I when I look at it, I'm like when I see people who are enthusiastic about wanting to support Trump right now, I I just honestly think they don't know much about what's going on or. They're just really not serious about trying to save this country and turn this country around. Because I think it's just a losing proposition to put put your money on Trump and and place your bets on him for this year. And so if DeSantis and all these other Republicans, if they fail to topple Trump in this primary, uh, which is, I know, statistically or whatever, it looks like that's where it's going. But if he fails, why? Why did everybody fail? Why did nobody, why was nobody successful? And so let's talk about the messages of these campaigns. Um, Trump's message has been revenge. Trump wants revenge for 2020. He wants revenge for his political enemies trying to literally put him in jail now. I mean, his famous quote, I think, from this so far in the election, he said, I am your retribution. This is what he's going for, guys. He, it's a revenge tour. And he, he's very open about that. I mean, that's the that's the message of his campaign right now, um, which I know there's a lot of Republicans who feel like we got ripped off in 2020. And so they are very upset about that. And that's, you know, of course, that has um, captured a lot of their the energy of the Republican Party right now. That's not where I think our focus should be. I don't think we should be focused on 2020 if we want to win in 2024. But I mean, that is like it or not, that's where the Republicans heart is. And that's what Trump has been speaking to all throughout his campaign. Uh, DeSantis, his message has been, I get things done. OK, he says lots of Republicans have ideas. I actually did the things that they sent me there to do. Lots of Republicans are all talk. I'm all action. You know, his his quote that I really like, he says, Trump is running because of his own issues. Nikki Haley is running for her donors issues. I'm running for your issues. And so that's been that's been DeSantis's campaign strategy is is he's been just pointing out pointing to his own effectiveness, pointing to his own ability to actually do the things that other Republicans just talk about doing. Nikki Haley. Uh, she's been a disappointment. I'm not a Nikki Haley hater. Um, 
like I, I she's she gets a lot of flack. She's very unpopular among Republicans right now. There's a lot of them who think she's just this globalist or establishment or you know deep state, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of people who think she's if Trump is the outsider, she is the ultimate insider. You know that's how a lot of people are talking about her right now. I have some problems with Nikki Haley. Um, my problems with Nikki Haley are not the problems that other people seem to have with her. I don't like my biggest problem is I don't like that she accepts the transgender stuff. Um, but that's also my biggest problem with Donald Trump is that he accepts a lot of that transgender garbage. So, you know, that's that's where uh, it's it's strange to me that so many Republicans seem angry with Nikki Haley. Um, I don't hate Nikki Haley. I would you know, I, I don't I don't know if I'd vote for her for president, but I I don't hate her. I'm not you know, she doesn't incite anger within me, but I have been disappointed with how she's ran her campaign. Uh, I do think she's been been petty at times, uh, struck some low blows. Um, the, the, there was actually, there was this moment, um, at the debate between her and Ron DeSantis the other night where they were both asked to say something nice about each other. And, you know, she kind of just shows her, her cattiness right here. Uh, I'll play this clip for you. What do you admire about Governor Haley? Well, look, I mean, I think that, um, you know, at the United Nations, um, I did think that she, she spoke out strongly on some key issues and I appreciated that. I also appreciate, uh, the state of South Carolina, my wife uh, is a College of Charleston graduate. Um, her parents lived there for many, many years. And so it is a wonderful state. Uh, there's a lot of great people there. Um, and I think to be able to have been governor there is, is a great achievement. And um, I uh, really appreciate everyone I've gotten to meet in South Carolina. Governor Haley, what do you admire about Governor DeSantis? I think he's been a good governor. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I don't like that. <laughs> and so this is where she is not endearing herself herself to a lot of um, Republican voters. And another message that hasn't been working for them is the message of her campaign has been about her gender. You know, that's what I've been also disappointed about. It's like I read her book a few years ago. I thought it was a fantastic book. I, it was one of the best books on leadership I ever read. I And as I read it, I wasn't reading about her just talking up her gender the whole time. But then when she goes out to run for president uh, to a Republican voter base from her campaign launch video, it's been all about, I'm Nikki Haley. I'm a woman. Hear me roar. And that's, that is just not something that, that Republicans care about. I don't, I don't care if she's a woman or not. I would be interested in what kind of job she would do. So I don't, my problem with her is not that she's a woman. It's that she can't stop talking about the fact that she's a woman. And also that she doesn't seem to know what a woman <laughs> even is if she, if she talks about Bruce Jenner and calls him a girl. So again, I don't, I don't hate her, but I, I, I am not enthusiastic about her run for president anymore. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, his message, I think his message has been the most like Trump. You know, he's been out there saying our politicians are crooked. We need an intelligent outsider to come in and clean this whole mess up. And so that, and so that's kind of been his shtick. I, he's pretty low in the polls now. I don't think he'll matter much longer anyway. Why did all these messages not work? I wish DeSantis' message had worked. You know, that's what I like about him is that he did get things done. Um, but why did that not resonate with the Republican voters? I, I guess maybe in most Republicans' heads, Trump was also a guy who got a lot of stuff done. So perhaps making that the central message of your campaign, maybe that just doesn't create enough of a contrast with Trump to try to overtake Trump. Um I think what DeSantis should have done, and he didn't figure this out until just the last few weeks, he should have spent more time hitting Trump from the right. He should have pointed out all the ways that Trump is really a leftist at heart. Um, I think that would have been more effective in the long run. He he was he played too nice with Trump, you know. Even though yes, he's been on the attack mode against Trump this whole time, but he has he's done it from the very you know typical politician way of being polite and respectful in his disagreements with Trump. Um, I think he should have just been clocking Trump, you know, just actually just I mean, like the way Trump's been toward him, um, not the sleazy behavior that Trump's been doing, not lying about him and saying his wife faked cancer, not that kind of garbage. But I mean, I think he just should have been more aggressive with Trump um, because uh, his like I said, his message was that I get things done. I don't know that that means as much to the if you're trying to choose between Trump, who people think got things done and DeSantis, who got things done. I don't know if there's enough of a contrast there. I think he should have been attacking Trump from the right, talking about all the things Trump did that are actually liberal and how he's not very conservative. I would have called him Lockdown Don 
I was like, that would have been a great nickname. He called it, he called him that like one time, I think. Lockdown Don. That should have been the nick. He like I know Trump is the nickname guy. I think he should have got slapped with a nickname. Um, because Trump locked down the country. Guys, Trump locked down the country. Ron DeSantis opened Florida back up. Um, Trump is the one who locked it down. So I, I would have been hitting Trump with that. Um, instead, Trump just gets to go out there and lie and pretend that that he was the one. <laughs> it's so ridiculous trying to pretend that that he was the one who tried to open up the country and it, it, trying to blame Ron DeSantis for everything Fauci said. This is so over the top. And of course, Ron DeSantis would would definitely argue with your uh, characterization of how he handled it. But if you go back and look at the records, you will see that the biggest fan of Dr. Fauci was Ron DeSanctimonious. He was a big fan. He said, I go by exactly, quote, I go by what Dr. Fauci said. He said that two months in all the way through and then eventually changed when it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the dessert of the day. But Ron DeSantis was a big Dr. Fauci fan and nobody wants to cover that. I say it every time. You know, if you can listen to that, there's just absolute backwards lies right there. And if you can be a Trump supporter after hearing that, I mean, I, I need you to speak up for yourself. I need you to defend that. If you're a Trump supporter, I need you to defend that garbage right there that he just said. Uh, that sewage that just spewed out of his mouth, because that, that is the exact opposite of reality. It's the, one of the most bold-faced lies I've ever heard from a politician. Um, and hey, if you're a Trump supporter, while you're answering for what he said, why can't Trump t- tell us what a woman is? You know, why he was asked, what is a woman? And he couldn't answer. DeSantis is, I'm only just now hearing him talk about that. He should have been clocking Trump with that all month long. He should be forcing Trump voters to explain why Trump locked down the country, to explain why Trump can't tell us what a woman is. Because I think most Trump voters, they hate this transgender garbage. I think most Trump voters don't like this stuff that has been forced on our kids and in the schools. And they don't, they think it's idiotic that some people can't define what a woman is. So why would they vote for Trump who can't do those things? Why would they vote for Trump who thinks Bruce Jenner is a girl? You know, all that is, is, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Republicans have a lot of love for Trump. I don't think they realize how left wing he is, especially on this transgender stuff. In 2022, What is a Woman? That was like the most popular conservative movie. Okay. It was a documentary, but I mean, it was like, it was, it was the most popular one out there for, for the conservatives. And then they want to turn around and vote for a candidate who doesn't know how to answer that question. Um, So that was, I wish that's why I think Ron DeSantis just couldn't get it done. I think he was not aggressive enough with Trump. And he should have been punching him from the right and just leave. Let's leave all the politeness stuff. Don't make up lies about him. Don't make up crazy theories. Don't make fun of his, you know, don't make fun of his hair. Like Trump made fun of Ron DeSantis's shoes for a week and, you know, made a big deal about that. I guess he still is. Um, Don't 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 do any of that. Okay, but clock him from the right. And so as much as I love DeSantis, that I think he was just playing a little bit. To, he didn't want to upset the Trump voters. He wanted to attract the Trump voters. But the thing is, Trump voters like Trump because he's so aggressive. He gets out there and he punches. And so they're looking for a fighter. And in this race, Trump has shown himself to be the biggest fighter. You know, even though DeSantis actually got stuff done, but Trump's, Trump's, Trump still showed himself to be that that bulldog who's just going to latch onto you and not let go. And I, maybe DeSantis should have just fought back a little harder. You know, I don't know. It's easier to decide these things in hindsight i know um nikki haley why did her campaign not work well again i I think republicans are willing to vote for a woman there have been lots of prominent female republicans like nikki haley you know she was very popular as the u.n ambassador um but republicans don't get excited about a candidate because she's a woman that's a democrat thing and so nikki was running a democrat playbook with a republican audience that's a bad idea Ramaswamy, I'll admit he's been entertaining. I think he's well-liked. You know, I think his outsider message, it's well-received. Everyone I know who talks about Ramaswamy says they like what he's saying. But what, what his outsider thing didn't work because he doesn't have an established identity uh, that Trump did. You know, when Trump came in, we didn't know what kind of politician Trump would have been whenever he entered the race eight years ago as an outsider. But we knew who he was because he'd been in our lives. He'd been on our TVs. For years and years and years. Uh, Ramaswamy doesn't have that advantage. He's he's still too much of an unknown. So I think Republicans like the outsider thing. But 
he's not well known enough to um to to play that card. Uh, there's he's too unknown. So I think he's on track to run for senator or something now. Uh, he'll probably have a successful career in politics if he wants to push forward on that. But anyway, he didn't take off for the presidential campaign. I think he's running for Trump's vice president, <laughs> to be honest. But we'll see if that works out for him. Mike Pence's message for his campaign, he said, character counts. Um, that was that was basically what he was telling us, is that, you know, Trump did a lot of good things, but he had character issues, and that's what held him back. And Republicans need to get back to picking someone who has good morals to be their leader. And so I, hey, I agreed with all that, too. But I think for Republicans, it's sad to say, but they don't care about character anymore. You know, they showed that when they chose Trump in 2016. That's the biggest hypocrisy of Republicans is they will they will him and haw all day about Bill Clinton's affairs. We want to talk about Barack Obama's weird sexual history, but then they'll just turn around and vote for Trump. And Trump, as we all we know now, he pays for prostitutes and sleeps with porn stars. And he brags about that stuff openly. You know, Clinton, Clinton at least apologized for his bad behavior. <laughs> and yet Republicans want to, some will pretend that Trump is a Christian. And um, <laughs> it just, it throws the whole character argument out the window when they support Trump. Nobody in the Republican Party should be pretending that they care about character if they are more willing to support Trump than Mike Pence. Okay. Um, so what would it have taken to topple Trump in this primary? Here's my opinion. I mean, this is my podcast, so I guess you know it's my opinion. But here's what I'm noticing that we never had in all of these messages, all these candidates, all these ideas they were putting forth. I think what we never had was a hope candidate. Everyone's message has been so negative. You know, everyone's been, even Trump, they've all just been talking about how bad things have gotten under Biden. And none of them were offering hope. You know, nobody was out there saying... America's best days are still ahead of her. Okay, when when Obama ran in, I guess, like 2006, 7, 8, when he ran for president, you know, it's hope was his slogan. Things were bad. The end of the Bush era was not great economically. A lot of bad stuff going on. He emerged with a message of hope. Trump comes out, his, as we all know, his message, make America great again. He had the message of hope. Okay, and then once again, here we are. And things are bad. Economically, things are bad. Biden's very beatable. And nobody's really come forward with the hope message. Everyone's just had kind of this negative, you know, I'm out for revenge. You know, it's all this been this negative stuff. Nobody's trying to even inject some hope. And so, hey, maybe <laughs> maybe none of us believe that America has good days ahead, you know. But if I was running for president, I would at least pretend, you know, I'd at least try to inject some hope. Uh, try to get people to think about the future in a positive way. Because I just feel like nobody's even trying to do that right now. Uh, and as I said, that's what Trump did eight years ago. That is not his message now. He, not one Republican has a message of hope. Not even Biden has a message of hope. <laughs> you know, Trump, Biden's message for his re-election campaign, it's that Trump is a Nazi. He's too dangerous, to, you know, to our democracy. He's too dangerous to go back to the White House. Even Biden isn't presenting a message of hope. <laughs> so I th And I think that's what people are looking for right now. But nobody has emerged as the hope candidate. So that's my that's my analysis right there. I think uh, that's that's why nobody could kind of take fire and and take, you know, take the wind out of Trump's sails and topple him in this in this race. Um, nobody has that message that just even even Trump himself, you know, he might be on top, but he has not captured the heart of the entire Republican Party. And that might be a thing that that's missing for him is the hope message. So. Um, there's my analysis right there. And hey, thanks for tuning in. If you got some hate mail for me, you can send it to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. And if you have didn't hear the last episode, I just kind of launched into a new phase of this podcast. Um, I, I dropped the fake news thing. I'm just trying to do some more, not always political. It's very politics focused today. I'm not trying to obsess about politics, um, but it's just, hey, we're going into a primary season. And there's a, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of neat things to talk about this year. And so I, I wanted to just keep going with that. But I didn't want to focus so much on just the fake news. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into that anymore. And so that's why I, I dropped that from the title of the podcast. And uh, I don't know if it's more focused now or less focused or what. But, you know, you're, it's, you're, if you want to hear it, you're here. And if you don't, you can turn it off. So um, 
let me get back into what I've been talking about. Um, still kind of on this politics angle. I've been rereading Scott Adams' masterpiece book, Win Bigly. <laughs> That's a little bit of a silly title. Let me back up a little bit there. Um, I read this book, I think it came out in 2017, uh, after Trump got elected, but this was written by Scott Adams. If that name sounds familiar, he's the cartoonist who creates the Dilbert cartoons. And uh, Dilbert is like the funniest, you know, little comic that is, is got dropped from the newspapers now, but it used to be in the newspapers. Freaking hilarious. I love Dilbert. Um, it's, it's smart. Okay. It's not just a comic for a little kid. It's a, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I understood the humor when I was a kid, but it's a workplace comic. And, um, anyway, uh, Scott Adams doesn't just do cartooning. I mean, he's, he's a trained hypnotist. Um, he's, he's got a lot, a wide range of skills. He's become a political commentator as well. And he was one of the very first people that when basically when Trump came down the escalator in 2015 and announced that he was running for president, Scott Adams was saying Trump is going to win it. You know, they, they put out a poll that said Trump has a 2% chance of becoming the president in 2016. Scott Adams came out and said, I think he has a 98% chance that Trump's going to become president. And he's held by his prediction all the way up until the day of the, the election. And of course, Trump pulled out the win, which made Scott Adams either very, very lucky or very, very, very smart. And I think in this book, he makes a case for that he's not lucky. He was noticing things about Trump and Trump's um, persuasion skills that uh, that he documents here in this book and talks about the, the places where Trump actually, you know, even though he did things that looked silly, um, that looked ridiculous, but how he actually there was a technique behind it. And so that's the that's the what this book is a collection of is it's called Win Bigly. And this he's. Um, the author of several books, uh, Dilbert comic books, but um, also books about being successful in the workplace and uh, just being successful at life, how to win it, how to fail at everything and still win big is one of his more famous books. That's another great one, but one of my favorite books of all time. That's why I called it a masterpiece. It's probably in my top 10 favorite books of all time. It's called Win Bigly. And so I was kind of perusing, I reread it because I thought, well, here we are into another election season. And this book was written basically about the 2016 election, about Trump and how his, what his techniques were. And so I thought, well, I might be watching another Trump campaign. So let's let's reread, let's re refresh myself on on the Trump technique. And so he has kind of an interesting break. I'm just going to give I'm going to read you a little bit from one of the pages here. He talks about the significance of Trump's slogan, make America great again. And um so here's what Scott Adams writes about the slogan. He says, this is deep engineering. You won't see it clearly until we talk about Clinton's comp competing slogans and how bad they were. Your first impression in this chapter might be that I'm trying too hard to force a smart interpretation on Trump's choice of slogans. But wait until you see the full picture. For trained persuaders such as me, this is amazing. Every word in Make America Great Again is active and powerful. Make, a power and dominance word that speaks of creation and manufacturing, such as jobs. America. Well, that's the strongest brand in every American voter's mind. It speaks to our identity, and it fit comfortably, comfor comfortably with Trump's nationalist America first proposition. Great. The word speaks to power and dominance and success. And then again, this word caused critics to debate whether America was already great or not. That's a nonsense debate because there is no agreed standard by which national greatness can be measured. But that doesn't matter for persuasion. What matters, what mattered is that the country was talking about Trump's slogan. Was it a mistake for Trump to include the word again? Did Reagan use that same word? Is the country really so bad now? When you consider the Reagan Association, the perfect fit with Trump's nationalist message, and the power in each word, you start to see the deep persuasion that is engineered into the slogan. Okay, so right there. Um, he's just explaining, you know, when I first heard make America great again, I thought that sounds kind of silly. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's a I thought it sounded a little dumb when I first heard it, you know, it's still, if I was running for president, probably not the slogan I would, I would pick except, and now after reading the book and understanding the technique behind it, I actually kind of get it now. Um, th and this, this became Donald Trump's slogan, not just for his campaign. It kind of became the brand name for his agenda. And so, you know, it's, it's actually. Um, it's an, it's a phrase that sticks. Let me, let me read something else here about it. 
The slogan, Make America Great Again, was also catchy as all get out. It even has what I call in it, what I call in author's lingo, a percussion rhythm to it. A great sentence sounds good in a way that music sounds good, independent of the meaning. The letters M, K, G, and T are powerful like a drum beat. Compare the powerful beat of Make America Great Again and the weak sounding drum beat of I'm with her, which that was one of Hillary Clinton's campaign slogans, I'm with her. He says, not even close. And so make America great again. You know, it's just a it's a phrase that's just fun to say, you know, even though, like I said, I thought it sounded a little silly at first, but it's fun to say the phrase make America great again. I think it makes an even greater acronym MAGA. You know, that's just a it rolls off the tongue. Um, Even even Biden's trying to use it now as a as a slur talking about the MAGA Republicans. It's a powerful phrase. How many campaign slogans actually also make a great acronym? You know, and that's what Make America Great Again does. It makes MAGA, which is just, you know, it's a great shorthand and it sticks in the head. And so, you know, everybody, everybody knows MAGA, whether they have, everybody has a reaction to it, whether it's positive or negative, everybody's got a reaction. Then you look at um, Hillary Clinton, her slogan, I'm with her. This is what Scott Adams says. That slogan doesn't speak to the betterment of the country. It literally suggests that citizens should be doing something for one person, Hillary Clinton. A campaign slogan can't fail much harder than that. And he kind of goes through some of the different campaign slogans that Hillary tried. Um, well, let's go back to I'm with her. He said, this slogan emphasized Clinton's gender, implying that it must be some kind of advantage. As a man, I found this off-putting and tone deaf. It was also off-message for someone running to be president of all Americans. My opinion doesn't represent men in general, but you only have to offend 5% of either gender to have a big statistical problem. This slogan was more problem than solution. Another slogan that she tried, I'm ready for Hillary. It says this slogan was about the voter, not the candidate, and certainly not the country. Worse yet, it assumes some kind of smug superiority in being ready for a woman president. There are no power words in the sentence, and it's not the least bit catchy, which was a blessing in disguise. This one didn't last long. Another slogan she tried, fighting for us. He says, who is us? If Clinton, if Clinton intended us to mean Americans, why not say so? The implication is that the us is Clinton's supporters. Or maybe it refers to anyone who faces discrimination, such as women and minorities of all types. But whatever it was supposed to mean, it doesn't sound like it was talking about America as a whole. So would a white male voter, a member of the patriarchy in some people's opinion, think the slogan meant Clinton would be fighting for him or against him? And let's look at one more um, that Hillary Clinton tried, Stronger Together. He says, this slogan was the best of the bunch, and it got the most attention during the campaign. But while it seemed on the surface to be a harmless slogan about strength in numbers, things started to turn when Clinton's supporters became bullies, both online and in real life. Suddenly, the Stronger Together theme started to sound like a pack of bullies attacking people who disagreed. Those bullies were indeed Stronger Together. Now, I know Trump supporters did bad things too, but their behavior didn't have a campaign slogan that made it seem more ominous than it already was. The Stronger Together slogan started to feel, at least to my ears, like an angry mob of bullies who didn't like the other half of the country. And so that that was Scott Adams' analysis here in this book, Win Bigly. You know, it's a little bit based off of a phrase Donald Trump would call things big league, and, and people thought it sounded like bigly. So that's where the title comes from. But Win Bigly by Scott Adams. And, you know, as I read that book, and and also I followed him on social media, and I started to understand what he was saying about Trump. Whether you like Trump or not, you know, I've said Trump a hundred times on this podcast. And I don't, it's not that I want to do a, yet another episode talking about Donald Trump, but he's infused in so much of our lives now and so much of our political, everything is just coalescing around him. Um, and this book explains why, you know, this book explains how he captures attention and kind of sucks all the air out of the room. Uh, for example, you know, he, uh, this book told me about a technique that Trump uses a lot called thinking past the sale. That's what Scott Adams calls it. You get people to think beyond what you're trying to convince them of. Um, and then that helps them to just accept what, whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to convince them of. Okay, for example, I saw it earlier this week. This was like on the, on the day of the final Republican debate, that one that was between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis that Trump didn't, when it, you know, he refused to go to it. Um, this is what he puts out in the news. This is what he leaks to the press on the day of that debate. I'll read the headline here from NBC News. 
Former President Donald Trump indicated he has made up his mind about whom he would like to be his running mate should he win the president, Republican presidential nomination. So the headline there is about, it's, just, it's giving us actually no information. And Trump put this out. He probably hasn't decided who his VP will be. That's probably not even true. But that doesn't matter. He's not going to tell us who it is right now. So it doesn't cost him anything to put this information out there. He just says, oh, yeah, I've already decided who I picked for my VP. Well, instantly, everyone's speculating. Oh, who could that be? Who could that be? Who did he pick for VP? Well, once everyone's talking about that, they've forgotten about Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and their debate in the Iowa caucus. No, it's like everyone's already just thinking, I wonder who Trump's vice president pick is going to be. And it's like then you're in your head. You're already thinking of him in terms of winning the general election. And so he, that's that's thinking past the sale. And he put, that's his technique, guys. He puts that out there on the day of, you know, there's one more debate before the Iowa caucuses, and he puts it out there in the news. Oh, yeah, I've already picked my VP, you know, to get everyone talking about it and theorizing. And it, it just makes everyone just think past the idea of, should we vote for him in Iowa? And everyone's just thinking in terms of, oh, yeah, he's going to be the guy. I can't wait to figure out who his VP pick is going to be. And that's that's the way he operates. And so... Very smart, very clever. Not my guy. You know, he's not who I'm hoping will win whatsoever. <laughs> but but um, I understand the technique. I can I can respect the the wisdom in it. Um, and I will say I've given him a lot of flack for some of the stupid junk that he has done throughout this whole campaign. But he has actually he has shown us a, a, an interesting amount of self-control here lately. You know, he did his town hall the other day. Uh, I think I played a clip from it earlier. He did a town hall on Fox News, was very restrained, was very self-controlled, was doing a much better job communicating. And I thought, if you can turn it off and turn it on like that, uh, why don't you just why don't you be that way all the time? Um, you know, is, uh, so anyway, there's there's technique behind a lot of what now, not everything can be explained away with technique. Hey, he lost the 2020 election. So, you know, not a, he's not a perfect um master manipulator like he you know he or scott adams might think that he is uh just i saw on twitter a few days ago he met one of the missouri representatives one of missouri's representatives one of my state reps traveled up to iowa and met with trump and reported on this on his twitter and trump's quote on what he said to this representative he said hi i'm a representative from missouri and trump replies oh yeah they love me in missouri missouri loves me you know and i hear that i'm just like that's your that's your response. Missouri loves me. You know, it's that's that sounds like Hillary Clinton. I'm with her. As a Missouri voter, I would like you to say something like, "Oh man, I appreciate Missouri. I appreciate how they've supported me." Not, "Oh yeah, Missouri loves me." You know, that's just that's just again, it's that narcissism and 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 can't stop talking about himself stuff that also turns a lot of people like me off. And so, um I I don't think he's a perfect persuader, but I do think he has a lot of interesting technique behind it. And so anyway, Scott Adams helped me discover a lot of that. Okay, I've been talking long enough. You know, I had some other stuff I wanted to chat about, but, um, well, you know, I, let's not leave without listening to a message from our president, okay? That's that's one of my favorite segments to do, and I do have one for this week. You know, I've been saying on this podcast for like a year, ever since all this AI stuff dropped in, I've been saying it's going to get really, really hard to know what's real and what's fake. And so about a week ago, I shared something on Twitter that I later learned was actually fake. Um, I shared a clip on Twitter. Okay, so an aspect of this video is fake. This is a clip of our president speaking. Okay, so I'm going to play here. I'm going to play it here, a message from our president. The audio in this clip is real. So, so we can still laugh about it. The impact what happened on July the 6th had international repercussions beyond what I think any of you can fully understand. So the funny part of the clip is that he was doing his January 6th uh, celebration. You know, that's a major holiday now for Democrats. And he called it July 6th. You know, so there's just another point there for Alzheimer's. But here's why I was saying this clip is somewhat faked. Um, it's you will not see it because you were listening to it. But Biden's eyes, they look so like angry, almost comically angry or maybe scarily angry. You know, someone had done some kind of uh, visual manipulation to the image to make his eyes look more like scary or something or make like he was angrier. I thought he looked kind of like the Jeff Dunham puppet called Walter, you know, because that's that is how he looks sometimes. 
So, but I didn't even realize when I shared this clip that it had been digitally altered in this way to make him look, you know, crazier or whatever. And so uh, I shared it, didn't even know it was a faked video. And then like four or five days later, I get a community note on this video and it says this was this was uh, min digitally manipulated. And so um, it, the audio was real, but the video was was actually kind of fake. So anyway, here's what I'm saying, guys. And the, the AI can do this stuff. I'm not saying I think a person programmed an AI to do it, but AI can do these deep fakes and replace faces and all that stuff. People don't even have to animate it anymore. They type in what they want into a computer and the computer can just pop it out for them. And that's just kind of the, it's a sign of the times type of thing. You know, this is just a, <laughs> this is what the reality is. And the, in an election year, I think you can expect a lot of fake videos like this to go around. You know, and again, I shared this like five days ago and then I found out that it was faked. Okay. And think of that old phrase, a lie can get around the world before the truth can get its pants on. And that's exactly what's going to happen is these faked videos are going to get out and yeah, we'll catch them sometimes. We're going to figure out that they're faked, but it might be three or four days later and everyone already heard, saw the original and that's just what they believe is true. And that's how the populace is going to be deceived by a lot of things. And so um, this, <laughs> there's another video, uh, this one with AOC. She's talking, this is all fake. The audio is fake. The video, if you're watching it, it's like you're watching her speaking in an, in, in an interview. It's faked, and yeah, it, it's but it, it it's so spooky, like you could almost think it would be real. Someone shared it and was like, "I can't believe she said something like this." You know, I can't believe she said that out loud. So I'm listening to it. I'm like, "You would almost think it was real." I'll let you hear it. Um, like to get New York City more resources to handle the influx of uh, citizens to be, as I like to call them, immigrants. We should totally raise the taxes on apartment owners. Um, and if they raise rent on current residents, we'll raise taxes again. The residents have citizen privilege, which is a form of white supremacy. Um, that means they're probably racist and homophobic. So I don't mind them paying more. So again, you, you can only hear this if you're listening on podcast. But if you're watching it, I mean, it's her face. It sounds like her voice. It looks like a real video. There's kind of a silly picture on the wall behind her, and that kind of gives away that, that it's a fake. But I mean, this is something that could easily fool people into thinking that it's real. And so anyway, that's I'm just saying, guys, we're just not going to know what's real going forward this year. And so I, I wanted to throw that in there. Um, I had some other stories I wanted to talk about, but I'm, I'm really running out of time. Uh, let me, let's end with this one. I, I want to end with something to feel good about. OK, that's a new segment I want to do, and I want to end on it each time. It's just something that's a good news type of item. So something to end on that feels good. And um, <laughs> wait till you see where I'm going with this. Michelle Obama, she's been in the news this week. And there's been a lot of speculation that she might try to run for president someday. Some have even questioned whether she might try to do it this year. And, and one of the reasons is they see headlines like this. OK, this is what was reported in the New York Post. It says, Michelle Obama is, quote, terrified about what could possibly happen in the 2024 election. And so the headline there includes a partial quote from her trying to stir up the idea that she might be indicating that she's going to try to get in the race herself because, you know, Biden might lose. OK, and that's when, you know, when I saw it, that was my first thought as well. But then I read beyond the headline. And um, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Let's call this a beyond the headline segment as well. And then we'll read her quote in full. So we're going beyond the headline. And here's what she said. The former first lady admitted her fears in response to a question from a podcast host named Jay Shetty. Shetty asked, what is the thing that keeps you up at night now? Or what is your biggest fear after having overcame so many? She replied, it has less to do with me personally and more to do with the world that we're in. There's such a thing as knowing too much. And when you've been married to the president of the United States, who knows everything about everything in the world, sometimes you just want to turn it off. What keeps me up are the things that I know. The author and attorney named a number of specific concerns she had, including the ongoing wars, AI's potential impact on humans, and climate change. She also said she wondered why people aren't voting. Back to a quote. Those are things that keep me up at night because you don't have control over them. And you wonder where we are in this. Where are our hearts? 
what's going to happen in this next election. I'm terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter, who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit. It affects us in ways that I think sometimes people take for granted. So I'm calling this segment something to feel good about because I really don't want her to run. Um, I I think her her husband was the worst thing to happen to this country since the Civil War. So I don't, the reason I'm saying I feel good about this is as I read her comments in context, I don't take it that she's trying to imply that she might try to get in the race herself. And I'll tell you why. You know, here's what I'm saying. I don't, I'm not, I don't think she's implying that Biden can't win. So she's going to have to do it herself. And the reason is, if that's what she thought, she would not be saying that out loud. Okay, because I'll explain why. Let's play this out. If the Democrats were going to do this, there's this theory, you know, they're going to try to replace Biden and swap him out with somebody else before the general election. Okay, let's just talk about that realistically. How would that even work? You know, first of all, they would have to do it at the Democratic National Convention. Okay, like there's like this whole legal process they'd have to go through. And I, I believe that's how it would work is they decide this stuff at the DNC that's in the summertime before the election. And then once they decide it at the DNC, they're like locked in with that candidate. Okay. But what would be the excuse they would use if they wanted to get Biden out of there? What's the excuse they would go with? Okay. Like what would be their cover story? You know, they, they can't like outright say that he's going to lose. That they can't just say that out loud because they haven't, uh, they, they, he didn't get out in time to let there be a primary process and let voters pick someone else. So they can't just be like, oh, the higher ups have decided he's going to lose. Okay, they can't do that. They have to make some kind of excuse. And I just, I've racked my brain. I cannot figure out what kind of excuse that they would use. You know, if they said he had some kind of cancer or disease or something, okay, well, then why would he hang in there another six months until his term finished? You know, he, he would need to leave right then if that was the case. So they can't go with a health reason because then he has to drop out like that moment. Okay. In fact, he was joking about this all the way back before he was even inaugurated. All right. There was a reporter and a reporter asked him what would happen if he had to, to, to basically to, to drop out or the reporter asked him, what, what are you going to do if you and Vice President Kamala Harris, if you guys have a disagreement, listen to what Biden said to that. Yeah. But all kidding aside, it's a, it's a matter of the thing we are simpatico on our philosophy of government and simpatico on how we want to attach approach these issues that we're facing. And so I don't have and when we disagree, it'll be just like it's so far. It's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C or D. And I'll say, I don't I like A, don't like B and C. Mm-hmm. And let's go. OK. But and I like I told Barack, if 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 I reach something where there's a a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle. I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Um, now, he shouldn't have said that out loud, you know, because it, there's then it started the saying of people saying, oh, he was just joking. Even though at the beginning of the clip, he said, all jokes aside. And if you watch Kamala Harris's face during that exchange, you know, she is freaking out that he's even saying this stuff out loud. And so anyway, Harris would become president if Biden had to, whether it was true or not, but if he had to use the excuse he was sick and had to leave the presidency, then Harris would become the president. And then she would become, by default, the Democrat who's running for president this year. Okay? And obviously, I mean, everyone knows this, the Democrats do not want Biden's replacement to be Kamala Harris. If they did, he would already be out of the way. (laughs) She would already be president right now because he's already so unpopular. If they had someone more popular waiting in the wings, they would get him out of the way now. So obviously, they don't want Kamala Harris. She wants to be president because, you know, of course she does. That's why she's the, <laughs> that's why she accepted the VP. That she thought she would be president someday. So she's not going to budge. She's not going to just voluntarily, you know, there's no stepping stone to a higher place than the vice presidency. You only, there's only one place to go from there. You go up. So she's not going to voluntarily step out of the way. How do you swap out Biden and Harris? Just from a realistic, you know, all these people who have these theories of, yeah, they're going to replace him with Gavin Newsom. They're going to replace him with Michelle Obama. How do they do that? How do they get Biden and Harris out of the way? I just don't see how this works logically. Okay. But even if we pretended they did, maybe there's something I can't think of. 
let's say they do have some way to figure it out, that they've got a strategy to somehow make it happen and get both of them out of the way. If their actual plan was to slip Michelle Obama in at that point, if that was actually the plan, they would not be telegraphing that all the way back here in February. Okay, if she was going to become their candidate, you know, she's not going to, she's not telling everybody she's thinking about that all the way here in February. That's something that would just happen later. So um, that's the good news, I think. You know, there's, there, there, she has no, there's no benefit. There's no threat that she can put on Biden to be like, you better get it together or I'm going to jump into the race and replace you. You know, I, she doesn't have the power to do that. So you're, I, that's the good news here, guys. Okay. I think she was just talking. <laughs> I think she was, I think she was just being a Democrat. You know, Democrats are all about fear-based campaigns. That's what they're, that's why they say Trump's a Nazi and all that. She's just going by the playbook. I don't take it as her saying she's about to throw her hat into the ring. So that's the good news, guys. Okay. I don't think you have to worry about Michelle Obama, at least not in, in this year, in 2024. Okay. I don't buy these conspiracy theories. They're going to dump Biden for someone else. I don't see how they would sell that to the public. And if they wanted to force Biden out, they would have had to do that in 2022 or 2023. If Kamala Harris was more popular than he is, they would have done that already, like I said. But thankfully, she's been a walking disaster. And so it's like they've made their bed and now they have to sleep in it. And uh, and I'll say that to Republicans too, okay? You still have a chance. Last call here, guys. The Democrats might be stuck with Biden for 2024. We have no reason to be stuck with Trump. So that is entirely your decision. And it starts with Iowa next week. And I hope you make the right call. This has been Luke Taylor. Thanks for listening to a fiery, but mostly peaceful podcast. Okay.